Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I created a new fun little resource for you. If you've been here before, you know that I love creating stuff in Canva and I also love reading and listening to books. And what I created is my ultimate guide to my top four books related to creativity and healing that I wish I would have read in grad school. So I called it the Innovative Therapist Book Guide. It's totally free. It's going to guide you through my top four books. I bet maybe one you'll be expecting, but I bet some of the other ones you'll be pretty surprised about. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear what your guesses were and what you ended up thinking of my top four books that I'd recommend you read. If you want to think outside the box, think innovatively about human relationships and how we can heal ourselves and heal the world. So grab it for free at drhondorp.com forward slash books. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash books. And I can't wait to hear what you think. All right, let's dive into the episode. All right, so welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I have a very special guest today who is a dear friend of mine and a psychologist like me, and so we have Dr. Alyn Richards here today. I'm going to be calling her Allie, and we're really going to just have an authentic conversation, kind of similar to conversations we have often, and yeah, a little background for the listeners. Allie and I met, I don't, I'm not good at timelines, but we met working in a bariatric surgery clinic, and we are both on our own, and um I've had some similarities in our training in terms of mm-hmm. clinical psychology PhD program, more focused on research. So we're going to be having an authentic conversation about sort of the field and where we do pretty well and where we've both pursued more training post-graduation um, in various capacities that kind of ended up being somewhat similar, I'd say. So basically, yeah, where the field is kind of missing the mark, right? And and helping people maybe understand that a little bit better. So welcome, Allie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You got it. We're in person for this interview. So um, so let's just start with talking a little bit about our field, right? And I don't know, any experiences you want to share about <laughs> the interesting, and, and you know, what you value about the training that we got. Um, but also maybe where it's missing the mark. Start wherever you'd like. <laughs> yeah, gosh, it's a, a broad expanse to jump into. Oh, yeah, for you've sure. got a lot but, of options there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I think just based on our conversations that we've had, right? Like, I, you know, I think from my training standpoint, I felt really fortunate um, to have a lot of my training come from more of like a conceptually driven place, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that piece always felt really valuable. I've always connected with like the systems-based thinking of like Mm -hmm. really kind of integrating all the different components of, you know, what someone's experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I had exposure to that and that was the piece that I really connected with, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I progressed through training and... You know, there was just such an emphasis on, you know, disorder-specific treatment, you know, really, you know, 
interventions that are really focused on symptoms, right? And, you know, I think there there is certainly value to that, and I've seen that be effective for some folks. But it often felt, when implementing that type of treatment, it became about the intervention, not the person. And you did a lot of that, and that's mm-hmm. definitely how I was trained, too. I did less of this after graduation, but, like, yeah, for panic disorder, we're doing this intervention for mm-hmm. OCD, we're doing this intervention for generalized anxiety, we're doing this, and, mm-hmm. and, and many of those have good evidence that they work, Right. but mm-hmm. yeah, it's not seeing the whole person, and, and I would agree absolutely with what you said. You're very good at conceptualizing. I think that's one thing in psychology training is, mm-hmm. is quite good in most programs, which mm-hmm. is, I think, great, um, and, and so I don't want to, so I'm glad you mentioned that. I don't want to just <laughs> desecrate our field because there's a lot we both value from it. Absolutely. And a lot of good. And that is, and I, yeah, I think just the evidence base, being able to look at, is this really working or, and the research piece I think is something I value too, although that has its flaws, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's the... I don't know about you, but I've just felt this tension between, right, like I understand the intent of that type of treatment, right, and really trying to make sure that you're providing effective care, right, and not doing harm, right, mm-hmm. especially given some of the history of that in the field, right, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I think that, you know, our field has really tried to legitimize itself through research and being very scientifically oriented right which again there's there's definitely value to that but I think there's a tension between that and also you know being reductionistic right Mm -hmm. and kind Mm -hmm. of more of the human element right that feels that it can't be reduced to that yes yeah so Remind listeners and me what reductionistic means. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like nodding along and I'm like, I think I yeah. know what you mean by that. But yes, it's reducing people to, well, you can, you can answer. Yeah, <laughs> I think really reducing people down to like one, just one part of the experience, right? Yeah, like reducing someone down to a disorder, disorder right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which just as, you know, as a practitioner, that's never felt complete that's never felt like it really captures a person right Mm -hmm. wholly Mm -hmm. um and so um I think that's where I felt a lot of tension between wanting to do evidence-based care right but then feeling like you're not really always respecting the full humanity right and yeah and not to mention that it's incredibly rare for someone to have one set of symptoms and fit neatly in a box and that's a lot of times in research trials, mm-hmm. you're going to get, um, you know, excluded from the research if you don't have pure panic disorder, which is really hard to find because mm-hmm. <laughs> normally you're going to have a lot of other symptoms. And, and not to mention, I mean, I remember my very first clinical experience was um, an anxiety disorder assessment interview for a research project. And I just remember being like, everyone has all these things. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and so do I. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not good. Totally. <laughs> it's not good at all. Yeah, that one actually. But, like, the there was even, like, quantities of, like, alcohol that was, because mm-hmm. we were diagnosing everything, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't have dependence. 
definitely am qualifying <laughs> for some abuse. That's not good. <laughs> sure, right. Yeah, you read the list, right? And it's easy to just be like, yeah, check, 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 right? But like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not totally sure exactly if that's helping understand, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's actually going on at the core. Right, and giving long-term relief. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. always, right? And if yeah. it's a, it might relieve symptoms and it might give long-term relief, but mm-hmm. it may not, mm-hmm. or often doesn't, mm-hmm. if it doesn't hit that, that root cause. Yeah, so what does that look like for you? I know we both know that we got kind of independently interested in internal family systems and more somatic-based work. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think we influenced each other. I think because I had left the clinic at that time, and I remember yeah. connecting with you. I'm like, oh, you're into that too? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Me too. Mm-hmm. How, how, what did that look like for you, uh, you know, progressing away from maybe the standard manualized treatment that you mm-hmm. were you were taught early on in training. Yeah, I think it, it's just been a gradual process. I think for me, uh, that's paralleled my own personal development and growth, right? Like mm. really having to sit with, I think, a lot of the things that were creating burnout for myself as mm. a practitioner, right? Moments where I wasn't feeling as effective, Um you know, and really exploring what was happening for me internally, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and this pressure to do everything right, everything perfect, right? Like Mm -hmm. seeking for the answer all the time, right? Yeah. And, you know, the ways that I had tried to deal with that, you know, cognitively, intellectually, I just kept coming back to the same point in my life, Mm -hmm. right? And kept Mm -hmm. feeling even more disconnected, personally and professionally and so you know as I was just kind of exploring how that could look differently for myself right and really I I think it echoed a lot too what I was hearing often from patients when using you know kind of more traditional cognitive behavioral approaches I I was always struck by the line of like yeah I I intellectually get it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can tell myself, like, I'm not a failure, right? Mm-hmm. I can look at the evidence and I can get it, but I just don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And I would hear that and be like a gut punch every time because I'm like, I hear ya. <laughs> you know? You're like, like, I get it more than you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? And so, um, so I think it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, like I, coming to this awareness of like, I just, you can't, think your way through it right Mm -hmm. like you know and so I think personally I was already exploring a little bit more of how do we integrate like a more um, holistic body-based somatic approach Mm -hmm. and and also you know starting to feel that way in, in the work as well and I was doing a training it was like a training series on um body image and one of the breakout sessions was with Amy Pershing. She's a, yeah, I believe she's a, a social worker who okay. does a lot of treatment with binge eating. And so mm-hmm. she was talking about the use of internal family systems mm. um, in that work as well. And it just was like this, I want to say, I mean, light bulb, right? But also just this real like excitement of like, this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And 
just really connected. So that's where I started my own personal exploration mm-hmm. with it. And yeah, it just really, I think, fit in so mm-hmm. many ways and filled in so many gaps for me personally and professionally. Um, yeah. So what about you? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, similar. I heard about it through my parent coach, Randy, who I talk about all the time. And that's where I was exposed to it. And I think, knowing me, I think I just dove right in quickly to the online uh, inner circle or something where it's basically Mm -hmm. mostly self-paced. They had monthly calls where you could ask questions, but it was a very large group of people. So I, I dove into that first and I started reading no bad parts first and I started doing some of the exercises myself and I mean even to this day I sometimes have a hard time with the exercises but there mm-hmm. was several that at that time in my life I was experiencing a lot of various forms of stress and stressors and I'm like hmm this is pretty interesting and and honestly for me it was also coming to terms with um, having my parent coach be so helpful to me mm-hmm. was a thing that slip, flipped it for me where I was like, oh, I might actually be able to get more benefit out of therapy because I just had basically convinced that I had to just do it all myself. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, someone can actually guide me. And so it, it prompted a couple of things. It prompted me to look at a new modality, but it also prompted me to switch to a more um, trauma-informed therapist who I've been working with since that time. And I think that was... I don't know. I think that was close to a year ago, working with her less now, because I think we're almost getting to that point where I've reached. And then, yeah, just having this, like, intuition about a lot of skeptical parts of me, right, because it's so different than our training, Mm -hmm. but, like, a lot of intuition of, like, okay, there's something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have gone through phases, right, of, like, those skeptics arising. Yeah. Again, I think it comes from the place of fear and doubt and that part that really wants to do everything right, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, based on what I've been told or should be right. Um, yeah. You know, and so I've definitely had that, that part activated when learning something new, um, you know, especially something so different than what I was taught. Um, yeah. So, But like you, there's just been a, a felt felt sense of connection and alignment Mm -hmm. with it Mm -hmm. um you know philosophically as well as just practically too and so I've just been learning to working on trusting yeah (laughs) you know that (laughs) that feeling more that's certainly a process as well right so yeah I think it was Kim Daniels which is a psychologist who she's really into IFS and she was Mm -hmm. like for a while I was like Am I in a cult? I, don't think I went through that. I went through that panic too. I think I texted you. <laughs> I think we talked about. We've had a couple things of like, yeah. what is this? <laughs> yeah, it's good to check yourself. Absolutely, and make sure that it's good. It's mm-hmm. good to have checks and balances. That's why these mm-hmm. parts are valuable. And also, I've had a lot of parts of like not a lot, but some that I'm like, oh, well, probably with most things that I talk about on here. Like, what will people think if my old people in my training, mm-hmm. like my old supervisors, like, what do they think? And mm-hmm. I don't care too I mean, I care, but, like, sure. I don't give too much thought to it. But that can be limiting to this idea of, but I also think 
when you're out of these systems and you and I are both fully on our own, mm -hmm. it's easier to, easier and harder to pave your own path because you're like, oh, it doesn't matter what they think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just doing what works for the person in front of me and trying it on. And I think that's also been really helpful is seeing the results with yeah. clients. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a gradual process, I think, for both of us. But mm -hmm. being kind of amazed, I was just reflecting on today, like there's things that I don't get out of these exercises that I'll be often surprised at other people's experiences of like how visual, how much they can visualize parts of themselves and how much it allows them to mm -hmm. embody that self-trust in a way that I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever get there in terms of my own personal experience and that's fine. I don't even know if that's how we're all supposed to experience like our parts. I think we're supposed to experience them differently. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you too, because you've talked about like your love of dance and how mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. influenced you. Mm -hmm. Did that play into like the early IFS resonates kind of experience, like thinking about how you used to feel when you danced or, um, or just, I don't know. I know it's been mm -hmm. a little bit part of your thought process, but I was just wondering if that was... Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't there at the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's that been a realization that I think I've had as I've been moving through the process myself. Mm -hmm. I think that the piece that struck me so much when I was starting was that as I, w as I was working on the practices, I quickly recognized that I had never actually truly experienced self-compassion before mm. right I, I had practiced self-compassion in the way that I thought I should mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um, yep. which was very much from this intellectual part of myself yep right but I had never felt it mm. um, and I had one moment where I was practicing compassion right for or just kind of sitting with a part of myself that you know I didn't particularly enjoy right it's mm -hmm. one that my system didn't really like and um, just having the experience of really being able to see what that part was doing for me and how tired it was like in that process right like mm -hmm. I don't know I just had such a different compassionate experience that I had never had before honestly yep and that was really profound um, yeah was that on your own yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think I just rec I realized too right like when I had <laughs> when I would practice other interventions on myself right or like <laughs> self-care or like you know cognitive things, restructuring cognitive restructuring <laughs> right like yeah it came from a part of me that felt I had to fix myself too mm. right so it wasn't seated from a compassionate place right. right and kept me kind of in this intellectual part um, right right you know and so it was just kind of reinforcing the whole the whole system so and it doesn't feel right yeah it feels fine ish mm -hmm. because you don't know any different mm -hmm. yeah and it feels like kind of helpful to a degree because you mm -hmm. don't know anything different and then you experience that more profound what IFS would call like a self mm -hmm. and self energy to part relationship versus mm -hmm. a part to part relationship 
Mm-hmm. Whereas a part of you has learned these skills and learned these strategies and has all these. these many of us have these therapist parts, right? That mm-hmm. of course use the skills that we've been taught. Right. And of course we try them on ourselves <laughs> and you get some benefit, but you're like, it's actually still not deeply healing and I had the same thing that's I think the main thing that IFS has done for me is allowed me to the how of self-compassion mm-hmm. that's I've said that before and I'm like because I you know I read the research by Kristen Neff many a year ago <laughs> and I was like that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense yeah I would love to be able to do that mm-hmm. it sounds great mm-hmm. how on earth do I do that right because right. the self-critic in me was like, uh-uh, I will not be stepping back. Yep. Not fully. Right. Maybe briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it taught me how I can actually be compassionate to that self-critic. And for you, it sounds like compassionate to various, yeah, protector yeah. parts of you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what it, it does, it shifts the paradigm from control to freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. Yeah. Like totally. Um, and I think that's what feels so different, right? Mm-hmm. Like think about even just the assumptions of some of the other treatment models is symptom Control. management, right? And even though you are, you know, there there are similar components, right? You're still sure. asking folks to not avoid emotions, right, and be mm-hmm. with it, right? Mm-hmm. But from the intentionality of like trying to control these parts and reduce them right um versus like this shifts it to internal sovereignty really yeah in a way totally i was just listening to the we can do hard things podcast Mm -hmm. um pretty recent episode although i guess by the time this comes out it'll have been out for a while an episode with martha beck and that's exactly what they were saying which is like well they were saying more so there was an episode where Abby and um, Glennon were basically trying to like. You heard this one. Oh yeah, <laughs> they were I trying to, to like. This week. Yep. Yeah, they yep. were trying to control mm-hmm. Amanda mm-hmm. by trying to help her. Right. And she and the normal response is to shut down. And it's so interesting, like the parts of let's various clients that are anxious or I don't know OCD parts or any right eating disorder restrictive parts when mm-hmm. you're like. I mean, I remember in college, that was a book that was really popular, um, something about, like, Ed, like, getting, uh, I can't remember the title, but it was about, like, treating the eating disorder as a guy named Ed mm-hmm. <laughs> that we were trying to get rid of, mm-hmm. and uh, and people found it very helpful, but it was ultimately, like, get rid and control and stop mm-hmm. and manage the eating disorder, right, and that those eating disorder parts feel very shunned and might feel a lot of shame Mm -hmm. and then you have parts of you that still carry that shame and it just Mm -hmm. often can lead to not long-term true healing but yeah you said it beautifully Mm -hmm. internal sovereignty (laughs) these are big words that I'm like I think I know it these like (laughs) I mean I I use big words too so but I'm like do I really know what that means I think like autonomy right freedom exactly Yeah. yeah and and, and uh, so much of what all of us are taught is mm-hmm. control because that's so many of our systems are based on control. Absolutely. Right. Like, and I think 
I think that's another part. You know I get charged up about systems, right? Yeah, let's <laughs> like, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and I think that this is a, it's another reason why I've really connected with this model, mm-hmm. right, is because when we think about the traditional framework of diagnosis and pathology residing within the individual, right, it's, it's coming from a dominant narrative, right, of yeah. like it's the individual problem, the individual's yeah. problem not fitting into, right, the conception of what they should be. Right. Right. Like, and so, um, and therefore the, the, the burden of responsibility, right. It's like a personal failing of the individual often, right. Is like the, the perception of of that or the message sent by that framework. Right. Um, you have a problem, go get it treated and get rid of it. (laughs) mm -hmm, Right. And so Mm -hmm. I'm always questioning who does that serve, right? right. Like at the end of the day. Um, but you know, but I think when you sit with folks, you listen to stories, right, of the systems that they were in, it makes so much sense why mm-hmm. these responses would be there, again, serving from a place of protection, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I, I think we are in sort of a cultural paradigm shift, right, where we're questioning. Um, a little bit of like where pathology lies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we are in systems that kind of shut down many aspects of our true nature. We are in uh, systems that oppress, right, certain folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to then say the pathology is with the individual is, you know, not putting responsibility on the system that's actually causing the trauma and harm, right? Yeah, right. And so, that was another aspect of this model that I really connected with, right? Was like, yeah, um, yeah. It allows you to have understanding and not pathologize. Like I have a, a there's a quote from Dick Schwartz that I use in a couple of presentations that I've given, which is really like this idea of diagnosis. And I always tell people like it's not that diagnosis is always bad and that right. we have to throw it out. But we do have to look at how it's influencing you. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just had someone new recently, and I haven't had a discussion yet, but I was having to make a diagnosis for insurance purposes. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. I just, and, um, but I also you know, like to have the conversation with the person of you know, just here's why I'm making this diagnosis and having an open dialogue, but also mm-hmm. kind of saying, like, I don't like diagnoses. Like, right. I had to do that recently for another form, and it's just like, well, I, here's what it is. and. And I don't like diagnoses because, again, I'm not going to remember this quote because it's too long, but essentially, like, how it can be, it can create a sense of, like, wrongness. Like you said, the individual's mm-hmm. wrong. It can create passivity, too, mm-hmm. of, like, well, I guess I just have this. This is part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be that way. And, and I think, even I think the quote was talking about it being unscientific. I'll have to think, I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes or something. Sure. But yeah, the, the model also, I think, gives a cool framework for having compassion mm-hmm. for the all humans, right? even those that created the systems, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me and mm-hmm. helpful and optimistic to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I, and I, and I want to be careful of not talking in extremes either. Right. And I know you're very sensitive to that as well. Right. Because again, I think that diagnosis can be 
really helpful for some, right? Yeah. If it creates a sense of connection, like understanding, like understanding, yep. like this this fits, this is making sense of my experience. I'm yep. not alone in this, yep. right? Like I think there can be real value and utility in that. Right? Yes, and this like, is a thing, and I can be helped. Mm-hmm. There's hopefulness in it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, generally, like it's it's just a much more compassionate framework, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all across the board. Right, and it, like you were saying, it's like this idea of like just here's your diagnosis. You are not, you know, something is wrong with you by accident is the mm-hmm. me- by accident or on purpose is the message, right? Mm-hmm. And then go fix yourself, or here's the system that's going to fix you. Mm-hmm. Versus, like you said, it all makes a lot of sense when we really get curious, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of call for <laughs> a lot more curiosity. Mm-hmm. What do you wish more people knew about, I guess, the field of psychology? Like, if you could, is it just what we said already? Like, is there anything that you're like, I wish more people understood this? Maybe when they're seeking therapy or maybe they've sought therapy and haven't gotten the benefit that they thought. Like, what do you think they should take home from hopefully our conversation? You know, and I do think there is greater and greater awareness. Uh, I think... You know, I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with, like, social media and things like that. But I do mm-hmm. I do think some of the benefit is that there there's essentially been some lifting of the curtain, right, of, like, what the field actually is, which I think helps to destigmatize, right? Um, yeah. But I think, I think just the knowledge that there's so many – there's so many different approaches. Like, there's mm-hmm. so many different, you know, practices of psychology um, that, you know, it's important to find – what fits for mm-hmm. you, right? Like, not mm-hmm. every practitioner is going to be the same, right? Um, and so, just that there, there's, it's really a, a big ocean <laughs> in many yeah. ways, right? Like, yeah. and so there's yeah. a lot of fish in that sea, and so. Um, and then, well, access is the issue from right. a financial perspective, but there yeah. is, you know, even SIPACT, like, at least for psychologists, we can practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some improvements in access and some mm-hmm. not, but I think there. I think also, like you said, with social media, there's some mm-hmm. improvements in access to various forms of healing mm-hmm. modalities. But ultimately, and I say this with caution, because you know, going. I don't know. I say this with caution of going outside of like a traditional therapy relationship. You just but you don't always know what you're getting in a in a traditional therapy relationship, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's like do you have that like the we we like IFS we think it's great but it's ultimately about that relationship with the person in front of you and that's still the main factor in mm-hmm. when it comes to therapy so mm-hmm. even if someone is a you know an IFS therapist that might not be the best therapist for for anyone right, right. um and that that modality might not be the best for everyone but mm-hmm. so it's it's ultimately that feeling do you feel comfortable with that person do you mm-hmm. feel like you're getting somewhere. So, Hey everyone, are you a therapist, dietitian, or helping professional that works with people with disordered eating or some degree of eating or weight concern? If so, I have a free tool for you that I had way too much fun developing. So if you have clients who say things like, I really like intuitive eating, but ultimately I want to lose weight, or in your opinion, you notice that they have a really hard time not focusing on weight loss and it really gets in the way of them doing the things they want to do or getting in touch with their body, 
but you're not always sure the best ways to support or guide them because maybe you understand why they want to lose weight, you know, given our culture, um, but you also want to help them build up their ability to trust their body. So maybe you've tried things like empathizing with them, telling them the science about dieting or weight loss, but maybe they're wanting a little more direction from you and you're feeling a bit stuck. So how can you help them explore what's right for them without imposing your own agenda onto them, which tends to backfire? So I created this free step-by-step guide to guide you through my favorite exercise, which is based on internal family systems theory or kind of the parts psychology, as some people call it. And it helps you help your client navigate this nuanced dynamic that's very personal with the different parts of them that you know, maybe want peace with food, but other parts that still really want to lose weight. This is my number one favorite way to help clients build self-trust while taking the pressure off of you as the provider to know the exact right advice to give or say. So grab this exercise for free, including exactly how to do it at drhondorp.com forward slash parts. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P dot com forward slash parts. So grab it for free today. And if you use it with a client, make sure you shoot me an email and let me know. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, but like you said, there's a lot of options and, and don't give up. I mean, certainly I've had <laughs> probably a little extreme in terms of trying to figure <laughs> that out. But I, I think also it has served me of like, mm-hmm. and really only recently have I found like, mm-hmm. trim- like more benefit mm-hmm. but maybe I was those other people were just what I needed at that time I'm not sure yeah yeah and I think it's and I think too it's okay for that to change mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. in, in recognizing like that these processes it, it, there's not it's it's a journey right as cliche as that sounds like yeah. you know there's a part of me that cringes with that every <laughs> cliche but it yeah. really is right it's a process mm-hmm. and so it's going to ebb and flow and it's okay for you to have different needs at different times yeah. too. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And so, um, and also I think as you go through this healing journey and it's interesting, I don't have as much of an aversion to that word anymore because I think some of the work that I, I'm like, it just is, mm-hmm. it is what it is. It's accurate. Mm-hmm. But I've also historically had a lot of issues with saying things even like, I don't know. I'm trying to think like what terminology would be a good example. This came up yesterday of like self-love. I used to feel like, I know it sounds cheesy. Like I used to feel like I had to qualify that. Mm-hmm. I still do a little bit feel yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But I think as I'm opening up parts of myself slowly and gradually as it feels safe to me mm-hmm. um, to be more loving to myself and to others. Yeah. It's a process. Mm-hmm. I feel less cringy about it. So it's just interesting, yeah. right? And different therapists and coaches and healing modalities are going to have different language and so you might just find the one you need at that time yeah it's interesting like that's definitely a part of mine right Mm -hmm. um and even just linking back to what we talked about initially right I think a lot of that came from again shaping like through school like shaping through being a part of the field right and that if it's not scientific, then it's not valid, right? right? Like, and so, yeah. And so there was, there was a part of me that really had to like dismiss those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've always felt this internal tension of like, but it actually like, 
connects, right? Like there's humanity in that. And yet I'm feeling like in some ways I'm having to divorce my myself from that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so, um, and again, I can appreciate the part that was like helping me feel connected and belong, you know, and belong within the, yeah. like we the system I was in. love in grad school. Oh gosh, no, no, we couldn't, we, it, uh, like there was even issues with like self-esteem, right? Because like, how do you operationalize that? Oh <laughs> you know? yeah. And I was always like, oh, yeah. oh, but it, like, that's a really, really like real concept to me, right? Like, right. That I'm really struggling with yeah. right now. So, <laughs> so well, we can't know. even say it. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh gosh. Yeah. I know so many meetings of just like, is this amount of food a binge? Or is this amount of food a binge? I'm like, mm-hmm. does it really matter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Not really. Mm-hmm. Do you feel out of control and shame and guilt? That matters more. <laughs> exactly, right? It's often like the subjective component of it is actually yeah. the most meaningful part. But it's hard to measure. It's hard to measure. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, um, I understand the intention behind that too, right? Of, of course. Like trying ultimately trying to understand um but yeah Yeah. it felt like when you're actually working with people quite limiting yes okay we're gonna shift a little bit to our motivation questions this is this is this isn't over but this has been fun but so first is what is one our intrinsic motivation question what's one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for so you do it for the inherent satisfaction of the behavior itself like you enjoy it um find it challenging or satisfying in its own right I would say moving my body mm-hmm. like I mean that can be exercise that can be you know kind of a range of things yeah. um, but I think going back to dance right like that's always been a time that I feel my best mm-hmm. um, I enjoy the process of it I enjoy mm-hmm. like the challenge um, and so I would say that I'm definitely intrinsically motivated. And when's the last time you danced? Oh, that part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, outside of in my kitchen. Well, that counts. <laughs> oh, that would have been last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Good. But. I'm glad you're doing some of it. Yeah. I'm looking into classes, actually, to cool. get back into it. Which classes? Uh, just adult classes. There's one that's kind of a fusion, um, mm. kind of combination of, does both, like, ballet contemporary tap um, oh cool so i'm looking into possibly this winter that would be fun yeah so uh, too bad we don't live closer i know dang it <laughs> i've been missing my dance i've mm. got, got a toenail removed so i've missed tap yeah i'm gonna miss it for three weeks in a row and i just mm. feel quite sad about it mm-hmm. i'll get back to it it's yeah. fine yeah, yeah okay great i love that of course dance is a big one for me as mm-hmm. well and i more in my life now but I could incorporate it more mm-hmm. more kitchen dancing I think mm-hmm. <laughs> next question is from a should to a choose to question so what's an example of a behavior that was always a should for you that used to struggle to do but you found a way to do it more consistently because you value it um, and or it's part of your identity even if you don't always love it I would say <laughs> uh, cleaning my car oh okay <laughs> Um, I think, uh, so I was raised uh, by a dad who 
cleaned his car like once a week. I remember having to use toothbrushes to like scrub off like every bug, every like oh. well in the tire, right? And so um, you would really be unimpressed with my car. Hey, it so it always felt like a, a should, right? And came <laughs> from shocking. right, yes, <laughs> and came from like. Only if people are going to see it, right? Like, definitely, like, a very much externalized, uh-huh. like, motivation, You would right? not be doing that if you were not right. going to see anyone. Right. Okay. Shame prevention kind of thing, uh-huh. right? Um, but I think especially, like, after, like, investing your, you know, like, time and money and, I don't know, I just really move, moved into, like, um, a value of taking care of that. And it's mm-hmm. also, like, a space that, I don't know, the car has always been this, like, kind of safe place for me like like in school and stuff when I was driving it was like the time that I couldn't be working right Mm. I could be off I could listen to music right I could listen to podcasts and so it's always kind of driving's always been really enjoyable for me um and so it feels like it's kind of like protecting that space um Mm. in a way so I would say that I like that that's Mm -hmm. uh yeah, just reclaiming it as mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what I'm going to be mm-hmm. doing. That is impressive that he cleans it with a toothbrush. Oh, God. Yeah. It's... So do you clean it with a toothbrush now? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, just checking. Absol- and to be fair, like, this is like a once a month endeavor, so, like, oh, yeah. it's not. Well, that's It's not all impressive the time, but it's better than, yeah. Compared to me, because mm. I, I was like, I don't know, when I run it through the dollar car wash occasionally. Probably should do a little better job, but. I mean. Yeah. when you have kids like it's yeah. like you know you gotta, something's gotta go exactly exactly <laughs> but still yep um okay awesome I love that and um the our courage and connection question so a main mm-hmm. part of our mission here is to help more people reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageous and connected lives can you share an example where having more body trust has allowed you to be more courageous and connected hmm I think this is an example. <laughs> I was going to say. Did you see my smile? I was yeah, like, I, I thought did. of one. <laughs> yeah. I think any any time that I allow myself to be vulnerable, right, in a, in a public way or shared with someone, um, that's not something that I've always historically done, right? A lot of mm-hmm. my protectors have aimed at uh, keeping me far away from that. <laughs> yes. so, um, so I think any time that I, you know, trust myself to be able to um, be open to that, right, um, has always led to more connection to self and others, too. So mm-hmm. I think this will, too. Not mm-hmm. that it's a huge podcast, but hey, mm-hmm. I very much appreciate you sharing yeah. with us No, oh, I appreciate, appreciate you having me on. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. Please review from my mom's podcast make something for my mom's podcast please thank you thank you for tuning in today your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here despite the title of this podcast many of our topics are not always easy change is hard and let's face it life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable that's why i'm grateful grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, 
it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.